Our topic this week, we're going to be in the last week, this is the last seminar, the conclusion of the depressed people of the Bible, and we'll be looking at the frontal lobe and powerful promises from God's Word. And so we've been covering uh, different people from the depressed people of the Bible book, as well as principles out of depression, the way out. So regarding the frontal lobe, it is in the front part of the brain, thus frontal, right? The frontal lobe, and it is the control center or the seat of the conscience. Very important part of the brain. Uh, it is what makes humans different than other animals. In humans, the frontal lobe uh, makes up 33 or so percent of the brain, and that is much more than any other animal. The next nearest animal is a chimpanzee at 17%, and then uh, dogs are about 7%, cats are about 3.5%. Now they have other parts of their brain that are higher percentage, because again, it's still 100% of the brain, uh, to help them in other matters, that's where they maybe smell better, or see better, or uh, like a chimpanzee, uh, their coordination, they're part of their brain that handles coordination, so they can swing from tree to tree, uh, is better, but as far as the frontal lobe, uh, humans, have the highest percentage of their brains regarding the frontal lobe. And so the frontal lobe is a very, very important part of the brain. And, and you see pictured there, going all the way from the top, even like right down between the eyeballs. And that's going to become significant uh, as we look at some Bible text regarding that. Now these are some of the things, just a few of the things that take place in the frontal lobe. I just want to focus on the yellow portions. There's a lot more. But uh, just for tonight, we're going to focus just on these yellow portions. So one of the things it does is it is assessing the future consequences of current actions. So the ability to think and realize that what I am doing right now, how is this going to affect me in the future? Now, in humans, the frontal lobe doesn't fully develop till 25, 30, even 30 years of age. It's continuing to develop during that time. Uh, and so, before that time, and so... That's why uh, for a young child, it's hard for them to think that this event is going to get me in trouble. Right? They're only thinking in the here and the now and not able to process that. It plays a vital role in impulse control, including decisions. So to just do it on impulse. And if the frontal lobe is impacted, then people will act impulsively. Alcohol, as we'll see, is one of the things that deadens the frontal lobe. And when people are drunk, they act impulsively. They do things just for, on the feeling and not thinking through what will be the consequences in the morning or tomorrow uh, or later on tonight from these actions, from these statements, from, from doing that or saying that. So uh, just the impulse, just impulsively, just, just, do, just do it, right? <laughs> just go ahead, just do it. Um, whether... A particular decision is morally or socially acceptable. That takes place in the frontal lobe. Is this right or wrong? Is this morally right? Is this acceptable in society's norms or not? Without that frontal lobe, we have no way of judging that and the ability to judge that. And so very, very crucial part when it comes to morality, God, and that sense of well-being, again, the sense of right and wrong able to decide that. Understanding the emotions of others. You're able to have empathy towards others, to care about others. Without that frontal lobe, we don't care so much about others. 
an example, uh, they used to do an operation called a frontal lobotomy, <laughs> where they would cut out people's frontal lobes because they were making wrong choices. And so to stop those wrong choices, they cut out a portion of the frontal lobe, so they weren't able to make choices really at all. Um, they could still mem have memory and other parts of the brain were still functioning. But they found that didn't work so well because of all the different things that the frontal lobe would do. And, uh, and so thankfully, they don't do that anymore. But uh, when they were doing it, they, for example, they, they asked a lady prior to going to the surgery, if you had borrowed a watch and lost it, what would, what would you do? And she said, well, I'd have to pay that person for the watch or I'd have to buy an identical watch and give her that watch. Well, then after the surgery, they asked her the same identical question. And this time, what would you do if you had borrowed a watch and lost it? She'd say, well, I'd have to borrow another watch. Right? So no consequences, not caring about the other person who lost a watch, just self-needs. Right? I needed a watch, so I borrowed a watch. And now I lost it. I still need another watch. And so I'll borrow another watch watch just concerned about self and that and like again the cats the cats just 3.5 percent of their brain is frontal lobe and that's why they don't care about you they can care less about you they don't love you you think they love you they don't love you they're cuddling up next to you because they're cold you know or, or they want food or they want something they really don't give a about you right it's all self no, maybe not all they got 3.5 percent right but it's mostly just self-preservation to feed me take care of me and, and so, but dogs higher, do, twice as much, 7%, they will care a little bit about you, you know. But it's not until you have the humans with a full working frontal lobe that actually cares about other people and feels other people's pain. And, and, and that's a sense uh, of maturity, right? And when we don't care about others, when we're still just self-centered, it's because we're not using that frontal lobe properly or we're damaging the frontal lobe so it's not functioning properly. So very important to have that frontal lobe, uh, especially in relation to depression, mental health, as we'll see other areas as well. So thinking or reasoning, uh, social or religious beliefs, and the ability to verify facts, that takes place in the frontal lobe. Having a good, strong frontal lobe, so moral values, beliefs. So again, you know, humans are moral beings, created in God's image, originally, Adam and Eve were anyway, uh, to be able to think and care about others and to have a belief in God um, and to be able to discern between right and wrong. What is morally right, what is factual, what is truthful. And when that frontal lobe is not working, that's why, again, with a young child, it's so easy to trick them. Right? It's so easy to, to do a, a joke with them or, or, or a, a, a you know, magic trick or whatever, and they can't figure it out. Or they'll, or they'll believe you, you know, that you, you made that thing disappear because they're not verifying facts, not able to verify facts until they grow. And, um, and so it's that developing that frontal lobe that gives us the ability to discern God's word, to discern right from wrong, truth from error, and develop a healthy belief system, which again is so crucial. And without that frontal lobe, people's frontal lobes, whether it was damaged, like a boxers getting their head punched all the time or football players banging their heads against each other all the time or, or maybe a car accident and people who've had the frontal lobe damaged, uh, it's hard for them to discern jokes uh, or, or puns or, or uh, 
sayings that, uh, like, um, he has someone in the frontal lobe is not working properly, uh, say the sentence like, uh, um, people who live in glass houses shouldn't throw rocks, right? And you ask them, well, what does that mean? And they say, well, they could break the glass, right? <laughs> you know? and, and, and just looking at it literally and not getting the bigger picture, really getting the, the meaning of, again, the joke or the pun or the, or the statement or the analogy. And, uh, and so that's all part of the frontal lobe. And so we can see the value in that, especially uh, for spiritual understanding God's word and connecting with him in a strong belief setting. Now, the Bible mentions a lot about the frontal lobe, such as in Exodus 26, verse 36, you shall make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it holiness to the Lord. It shall be on Aaron's forehead. And so the Kohen Gadol had a hat on and had head covering and had a breastplate of gold on it that said holiness to the Lord, symbolic of what he should be thinking about. Holiness to the Lord, that his mind should be holy to the Lord. In Ezekiel 9.4, put a mark on the foreheads of those who sigh and cry over the abominations done. In Revelation 9.4, they should not hurt those who have the seal of God in their forehead. Right? And so we have uh, in Ezekiel 9.4, a mark on the forehead. In Revelation 12, the seal of God in the forehead. And they're not talking about a tattoo on the forehead, not talking about a sticker, you know, something on the forehead. They're talking about in the forehead, right, in that frontal lobe, where the character of God is formed, where our beliefs are formed, where our faith is formed, where morals are formed, that frontal lobe, that front part of the brain. And especially, and even the frontal lobe is divided up into various sections they call apart the prefrontal lobe, right? Or kind of like the frontal frontal lobe or the front of the frontal lobe. The prefrontal lobe, so that even the very, very, very front of it has even more to do with the belief system aspect and morals. And so God talks about this and it's really amazing because this is all written long before they knew what any part of the brain did. You know, this part for, the, you know, uh, or memory, or various different parts of the brain for various different coordination. Uh, they had no idea back then. Really, the understanding of the frontal lobe really started coming into pass just within the last you know, few decades. And so for God to pick out this area of the brain, not just a brain in general, not mind in general, but that the frontal lobe do not hurt those who have the seal of God in their forehead. Seal of God, mark of God, put a mark. And there's a mark of God. And it's for those who sigh and cry for the abominations that have done in the land. If they're sighing and crying for the sins that are being done, they have empathy towards others. They're caring about others. They're interceding on behalf of others. They're praying for other people. They're upset that these other people are making wrong choices. And God says, those are my people. They are not just praying about their own needs, they're praying for other people. They're sighing even, and they're crying even, as God cries for us when he sees us making wrong choices. Not just condemning and leaving them and dropping them off uh, and setting them aside, but caring about them, loving them, praying for them, interceding. And thus God says, that's my people. They have me on their mind. They have my mind in them. They're thinking as I think. And so he puts a mark on them, a 
a mark, a seal, right? an identification, these are my people. In Revelation 14.1, a lamb stood on Mount Zion and with him those having his father's name written in their forehead. And so the character of God written into our forehead, that we've been adopted by him, that we have his name on our thoughts, holiness to the Lord, to live holy for him. In Revelation 22, verse 3, the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it. They shall see his face and his name shall be in their foreheads. And again, obviously it's not talking about a tattoo or, you know, mark or out, outward sign, but it's the inward all taking place in the forehead. The belief systems made in the forehead. A few more. Deuteronomy 6.6. 6. These words which I command thee this day shall be a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. Right? That's from the Via Hafta, right? which we say every week and uh, sing every week. And so put these words that I command you this day, God's law, which is in Deuteronomy chapter 5, the laws of God shall be in your forehead as a sign. So again, a sign, a sign, a mark, a, a seal, all interchangeable words, an identification that these are my people. They have God's name in their minds. They have God's laws written into their mind. And then Jeremiah 31, verse 33 says that. Thus says the Lord, I will put my law in their mind and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So again, obviously not talking about to fill in on the outside, right? but talking about in the inside, right? That that's where God puts with our mind, with our heart, with our hands. So we are choosing him. We love him. We love his law. And then we, with our hands, obey, right? So mind, heart, and hands. That's what symbolism. It's not, again, tattoos or, or, or anything on the outside, box or anything, uh, it's talking about in, choosing with the mind, loving with the heart, doing with the hands. And that's the seal mark of God. So lots of different places it talks about this, and between the eyes, right between the frontlets of thine eyes. Talking again about that forehead area, right And again, no way that uh, Moses or John or Jeremiah had any idea about the frontal lobe. This was God inspiring them to pick out this portion of the brain as where God's name, God's character, God's law would be written, decided, choosing, acting upon, the ability to choose again, right and wrong. All there in the forehead. So crucial for us to have that seal of God, that mark of God, that sign of God taking place in the forehead, having a healthy frontal lobe. Now, in contrast to that, the Bible also talks about the mark of the beast. In Revelation 14, verse 9, if any man worships the beast and his image and receives his mark in his forehead or hand, and in Revelation 13, 16, he causes all to receive a mark in their right hand or in their forehead. Now, it's amazing. There's only two places where it talks about the mark of the beast in the forehead, in the hand. 
and what we look seven or so different places where it talks about God writing his laws and there's others we didn't look at them all uh, and having God's name and God's character in our forehead the mark on God on the forehead the seal of God on the forehead the sign of God marked on the forehead but only two places where it talks about the mark of the beast and yet a lot of people talk about the mark of the beast a lot of people uh, you know the comment even people who never read the Bible who oh, is this the mark of the beast is that the mark of the beast they think everything's the mark of the beast you know and wondering and never most people don't even talk about or even know about that there's a seal of God that there's a mark of God as well and yet there was seven or more times about the mark of God the seal of God the sign of God and only two times about the mark of the beast the emphasis is way in the wrong part when people are just talking about the mark of the beast the mark of the beast and those who talk, talk about the mark of the beast have no idea what it even is when, when the barcodes first came out on labels on cans, they said, oh no, don't buy any cans of peas that have barcodes on them. That's the mark of the beast, right? You know, that was a long time ago. And every, everything, oh, that's the mark of the beast, that's the mark of the beast. Oh, it's got numbers on it. Oh, it looks it even has a 666 on this can. You know, don't buy that can, you know. And um, so all these kind of things, all these kind of theories. But it doesn't have to do anything to do with that or medications, or government, or anything like that. It's very clear. It has to do with worship. It has to do with religion. Which again, beliefs formed in the frontal lobe. So the seal of God, the mark of God, is having God's law written into our minds, choosing to do it. Like David, oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all day long. And walking in it, obeying it with our hands, acting it out, living God's law. And so the mark of the beast, here it is, you ready? This is what the mark of the beast is. It's disobedience to God and his law. That's it. That's it. That's the whole thing right there. It doesn't make for a great science fi movie or, you know, books or like that. But that's it. It's choosing with the mind or with the hand why it's in the forehead or in the hand choosing to disobey God consciously choosing to disobey God so someone who chooses oh I want to obey God but then doesn't with their hands they still have the mark in the hands that they've chosen to disobey God or maybe they're going through the motions and obeying outwardly but their heart and mind aren't really in it they're doing it maybe because it's socially acceptable at certain times and points in times of Earth's history, but their mind is really not in it. They're just doing it for others. But the seal of God is in the forehead and hands, where the mark of the beast can be in either. It comes down to, again, who do we choose to worship? And worship is not just singing praise God, praise God. Right? But we worship him by surrendering our lives to him, confessing our sins to him, giving ourselves wholly to him, that's true worship, laying down our lives for him, and allowing him, opening ourselves up to him, and allowing him to fill us with his Holy Spirit, and allowing him, as, as it said, he writes his law in our minds, and in our foreheads, and on our hearts. It's his work. It's him putting his Holy Spirit in. But we have to allow it. Right? We have to give him permission. We have to allow him to empty us of all that self and all that carnal nature, all that greed and 
Again, self-focus, all about self. It's that conscious, mental, frontal lobe choice to surrender self, to surrender my needs, and put him first, confess our sins, and to allow him to come in and put, fill us with him. Let this mind be in you that was in Yeshua the Messiah. Having his mind, his heart, his character, his name written into us, into our DNA, that all takes place in the frontal lobe. And that's what the seal of God is, and again, the mark of the beast is just a contrast to that. It's a rejection of God. And rejection of his word, rejection of his laws. That's it. It's that simple. You know, and it has to do with, again, who we're worshiping. Who is our God? Now, it says here in Revelation 13 that he causes all, so there's going to come a time in our history where there's going to be a forcing to make a decision of whose side we want to be on. Forced to choose, and again, it's worship, so it's going to be a counterfeit. It's going to look very close to the real. It's not atheist. It's worship, but it's a false worship. And if it's counterfeit worship, it's going to be very close to the true worship. We're going to be put in a position, being coerced, forced, whether reputation or our jobs or, or ability to buy or sell, as it says, and based on whether or not we're willing to follow God and his ways. As it says in Revelation, in the same area, Revelation 14, 12, I believe it is, that they, those, here are those that keep the commandments of God and have the faith in Yeshua. And it's also similar in Revelation 12, verse 17, very similar words. So those who keep God's commandments and have the faith in Yeshua. And in contrast to that, there'll be the counterfeit, which again will look very similar, very close, but it'll be an imposter. imposter. False laws, false God. When Satan came to Yeshua, and tempted him in the wilderness, he quoted the Bible. So it's going to come, there's an impersonation, will be very close, quoting portions of the Bible, taking and twisting it just a little bit. Right? Yeshua just had to quote the rest of it, the whole thing, to put him in his place. And that's it. That's the whole basis of the mark of the beast, the seal of God. And again, all that takes place in our frontal lobe. Again, so crucial for our mind, our heart, Keep us happy, out of depression, and to do what is right. Now, there's a very interesting video uh, about the frontal lobe. I'm not going to show it tonight. But you can go uh, to a number of different places. You can go to rumble.com, for example, uh, or bitshoot.com, or, or uh, brighteon.com, or odyssey.com. Uh, but at rumble.com, and if you just type in their search, rumble.com, and you type in uh, Bill Gates, and the CIA. And we'll bring up a very interesting video of Bill Gates talking about the frontal lobe and that the frontal lobe is where beliefs are formed and where emotions are formed and where intent is formed. And uh, so it's a very, very interesting video. I encourage you to, to check that out and watch that on your own. So how can we avoid hurting the frontal lobe? These are things to avoid to keep the frontal lobe healthy. 
Now it's very interesting, all of these things are things that are being promoted and pushed upon us in society today. Every single one of them. As if there's a mastermind attempt to weaken our frontal lobe. And I believe there is. And that mastermind is the devil himself. So caffeine. Caffeine weakens the frontal lobe by keeping blood from getting up into the brain. Uh, caffeine will decrease our blood flow to our brain by 30%. And that is huge. Okay, that is the blood in the brain to be able to think clearly. And, uh, and so uh, caffeine is, is very detrimental. I think in, in Dr. Nedley's book, uh, Depression the Way Out, I think he's got about four pages on caffeine and the frontal lobe and depression. So uh, caffeine is very uh, harmful to the frontal lobe. Of course, alcohol as well. And marijuana. That's why they call it dope. Right? That's why people do dumb things right? when they're on marijuana and all those things being promoted as good and, and to be done. And that's one of the reasons why back when people were more moral, had more morals and the Bible was more well accepted in this country, uh, they put the alcohol drinking limit at such a high age, even higher than joining the army, and people say, well, you let them go kill in the army, but you won't let them <laughs> drink alcohol. Well, yeah, because the alcohol affects the development of the frontal lobe, and the frontal lobe hasn't been developed yet. Right? So yes, they're strong enough to obey military laws and go and help protect the country, uh, but, uh, but not mature enough to make decisions and need to help their, let their brain develop. And alcohol should never be drunk if you want to have a sound mind. Low carb is not good for the frontal lobe. High protein is not good for the frontal lobe. Yet those things are what's being pushed as far as diets today. Low carb, high protein. And those, both those, that combination is not good for the frontal lobe. Television watching deadens the brain, bypasses the frontal lobe altogether. All the things you watch on television, that flickering going on, it's like hypnotic. It really is a hypnotic state. And it just bypasses the frontal lobe, and whatever they're saying goes right into your brain. Internet, high internet use, excessive sex. And we saw some of these things on the various different hits for depression. Uh, so sex within the context of marriage is good and fine. And as one person said last night, uh, God has given us marriage to, give, to keep us from having excessive sex. <laughs> so, <laughs> Go for it. so obviously you laughed at that, so obviously your frontal lobes are working good, right? So <laughs> but it's, you know, the sex that, with, the, with the sex on television and on the internet and pornography and seeing it and, and, um, and, and prostitution, it's encouraged to have excess sex. And that, none of that is healthy, and it's not only good for our morals, but it affects the frontal lobe. Syncopated music, rock and roll music. They did an experiment on mice, and they took three groups of mice, and for the first group, they played rock and roll music for them, a type of syncopated beat. And then the second group, they played uh, classical music too, and the third group, no music at all. 
And after a while, they had these mice go through a maze. So they all had the same diet, right? And they all had the same amount of uh, fresh air, sunlight, everything else equal. The only difference was the music they were listening to, or not, no music at all. And they put them through a maze, and for the first couple days, all of them kind of groped around, looking, trying to figure out the way to get to the food, right? Uh, and then eventually, the second group, the classical music group, and the no music group figured it out, and then had that pattern down, and would be put into the maze, and they'd go basically right to the food. But the rock and roll group, this went on for eight weeks, the rock and roll group, throughout the entire eight weeks, just like day one, groping around, which way do I go, which way do I go, George, and uh, looking for the food. And then they took a three-week break of no music for any of them. And no maze, nothing for any of them. And then after the three weeks, put them all back in the maze, and group two and group three, classical music and the no music, they remembered the way, and they found the way to the food. And the first group with the rock and roll still did not, still was groping around and could not figure it out. So that rock and roll music stayed with them. That frontal lobe impairment caused by that music had a lasting effect upon them. So syncopated music, low abstract thinking. Television does that, uh, internet use, on the phone all the time. Uh, not abstract thinking for the most part. A lot of it's just dead thinking. So abstract, thinking art, doing art, uh, being creative, uh, working with your hands, uh, problem solving, abstract thinking is very good for the frontal lobe. Planning, making plans, having a plan, doing a five-year plan, doing a planning, money spending plan for yourself, uh, practicing self-control, all good for the frontal lobe. And as we've seen in a lot of the depressed people of the Bible, acting against conscience affects the frontal lobe. And that becomes a downward spiral because then we get depressed, we have, act against our frontal lobe, and we get depressed. Or one of these other things that lower the frontal lobe's ability, and then we get depressed, and then we don't have the ability to reason what is right or what is wrong. And also we, one of the things that the frontal lobe is very helpful for is, is, is willpower and making that choice and choosing to stick with it, and then the willpower is weakened, and then it's hard to come out of that cycle. The person might read one of the books or hear this and say, oh yes, I need to stop doing whatever, you know, one of these things, but then not have the willpower to do so. And that's why the Nedley Depression and Recovery Program, where you go in the live-in and they help you because they're providing the meals for you and saying, okay, we're all going to go exercise in a half hour, you know, and so everyone goes together and it's kind of a uh, setting that encourages that and helps that to break that cycle. And then once that cycle is broken and the frontal lobe begins working again and the mind clears up again, then they come out of the depression and they're able to continue that lifestyle moving forward. And so the way to strengthen the frontal lobe is basically the reverse of all of these things. Right? So uh, uh, drinking lots of water. The brain is mostly water right? instead of these other junk stuff. And fresh air instead of smoke air, right? So fresh air, instead of nicotine. Nicotine should be on there too. I should put nicotine on there as well, or other drugs. Uh, so fresh air, water, 
high carb, low protein. When the young boy came to Yeshua, and Yeshua shared food with 5,000 people, what did the young boy have in his lunchbox? Five loaves of bread, high carb, and what did he have? What else? You're missing it. There's another word there. It's in the Bible. Two small fish. <laughs> yeah, it's a small fish. There were only two, two small fish compared to five loaves. He had high carb, low protein. <laughs> and that's what Yeshua used to, uh, to feed everyone. And that's basically how they ate. They didn't have refrigeration, so they weren't killing a lot of calves and having you know, meat at every, every meal. It was mostly grains, mostly fruits, mostly uh, nuts and vegetables with some fish, um, and once in a while, a lamb, or once in a while, rare while, a fatted calf. Uh, but mostly high carb, mostly low protein. And of course, they didn't have internet or TV, and so reading books, thinking, planning, talking, interacting, fellowshipping, all of those are good for the brain, helpful for the brain, and listening to good music, Mozart, classical music, uh, Beethoven, things like that, good uh, or godly music, uplifting music, and getting the mind thinking, and again then making right choices according to the word of God, and claiming his promises, the promises of God. And that's what I want to look at next, the promises of God and how to claim the promises of God to be able to strengthen and develop that frontal lobe. So reading the word of God, memorizing the word of God, all of that is great for the brain and great for the frontal lobe, and then following through with it by God's grace, also helps to develop and grow the frontal lobe. This is a wonderful promise in Isaiah 26, verse 3. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Now, one of a way to apply, especially this text, but some of the other Bible promises we'll be looking at, is to put your name in there and to put yourself right there and to amplify one word at a time. So the first time reading through, you can say, You, God of the universe, who created all things, who is all-powerful, who has all might, who knows everything, you will keep me in perfect peace as my mind has stayed on you. And then the second time through, you will, you definitely will, you promise, you will, you are always faithful, you never fail, you will, assuredly, you will keep me imperfect peace as my mind has stayed on you. Third time through, you will keep today, tomorrow, and forever, moment by moment, day by day, you will keep me, you will hold me, you will hold me fast, you will keep me on the right path, you will keep me imperfect peace as my mind is stayed on you. You will keep me, even me, put your name in there, even me, Jeff, you will keep me imperfect peace as my mind is stayed on you. I think you get the idea, right? Go through one word at a time, amplifying each word and focusing on that word and glorifying God in that word. And it just gets bigger and bigger. God becomes bigger and bigger in your mind as you do that. And the surety of his promise becomes more and more real. And if we do that, for the Bible promises, it's hard to be depressed with that. It's hard to be discouraged when we take the Bible and apply it directly to our lives that way. So let's look at some more 
wonderful Bible promises. Uh, they've been put kind of in a poetic way uh, by a missionary in India, uh, Paul Siniraj. Sin, Sin, I don't know if I got that right. He wrote this poem, Why Should I? So 20 different sections. One, why should I say I can't when the Bible says I can do all things through Messiah who gives me strength? And what a wonderful promise. Through the Messiah, I can do all things. Right? So we look at those things that we should be avoiding and those things that we should be doing. They may seem daunting and overwhelming, but I can do all things through the Messiah who gives me strength. Wonderful, wonderful promise to lay hold on. Nothing is impossible with God. Two, why should I lack when I know that God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory in Messiah Yeshua? I have no lack. He's provided all our needs, so our needs are met. And whatever we have, then that must be what we need. <laughs> hey, and God will give us what we need. And God will give us the ability to get more and earn more or think more or do more if we need more. Right? God will supply all our needs, everything that we need, emotional needs, spiritual needs, social needs, every need he's able to provide and will provide. According to his riches, he's got all the, the entire universe. He owes it all. He's got all power and all might and all things are his. Everything is under his survey. He is the one who will provide for all our needs. According, based on how rich he is. Wonderful promises. Verse 3, why should I fear? When the Bible says God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. So when Satan tries to tempt us and tries to get us discouraged and tries to weaken us and tries to instill fear in us and worry and concern for tomorrow and oh no and oh this and this person and this threat and this situation and, and this might happen, that might happen and what about my car? What about my house? What about this? What about that? We get fearful and worried. It's not from God. So we can reject it. Get with that frontal lobe. Make a choice. Lord, I choose not to listen to those lies. I choose not to get fearful. I choose to trust you. I choose to trust your promise. You have not given me a spirit of fear, but you have given me power. To overcome all things, to be able to do all things. A sound mind to think rightly and make right choices. And love. The ability to have empathy and care for others and love for others. And you've given me love, you love me. Four, why should I lack faith to fulfill my calling knowing that God has allotted to me a measure of faith? He's given to everybody a measure of faith. Everybody has faith. Everyone. That's why you sat in that chair without testing it. Right? Who has faith? We put that faith in God. Right? That God will sustain us. That God will hold us up. That his promises are true. We trust in him. And then we can get more faith if we need more faith. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And he'll give us more faith. He'll give us more belief. He'll increase it. And he'll give us his faith. The faith of Yeshua. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb and by the faith of Yeshua. He'll give us his very faith, his very mind. Five, why should I be weak 
when the Bible says that the Lord is the strength of my life and that I will display strength and take action because I know God. That'll give me the ability to act upon this. Not only just think it, not only just desire it, but to act upon it, to do it. For God is able to give us the ability to will and to do of his good pleasure. Claiming his promises. He will give us the strength to follow through on our commitment. The strength to follow through on our desires. The strength to follow through on his word. And act upon it. Six. Why should I allow Satan's supremacy over my life when he that is in me is greater than he that is in the world? Right, so we're filled with the Holy Spirit as we let go and confess and surrender the carnal nature that we're born with. Give that over to God. The evil desires, the evil inclinations and are filled with his Holy Spirit. Free for the asking. He that is in us is greater. We are more than a match. We are more than conquerors through him who gives us strength, through him who has overcome, through he who has defeated the devil and who is victorious and who reigns on high and is seated at the right hand of the Father, who is seated on the throne of glory, who is overseeing the entire world and knows our every need and knows our future, knows our past and knows our very being and who loves us with an everlasting love. He'll fill us and he has made us greater than whatever is in the world Whatever we have to face is more than victorious. And we're still here today. How many attempts down through the ages have been done to try and annihilate God's word, to try and burn it, to outlaw it, to get rid of it, and yet it remains today. To destroy God's people, to wipe it off the face of the earth, and yet we remain. God is greater than all our problems, than all things. So we trust in him. Hey, why should I accept defeat when the Bible says that God always leads me in triumph? From victory to victory, always triumphant. Might not always look that way. How we discussed Joseph. How'd he go? He went down to slavery. <laughs> then he ended up in prison. That's not looking like always leads me in triumph. But God had a plan. And God was leading him in that. And Joseph believed that. You meant it for evil, but God had a plan to work it out together for good for the salvation of many souls. So it's always triumphant. We're always, as we're trusting in the Lord and our mind is stayed on him, we're always on his path. We're always on the way to glory. God will work all things out together for good as we trust in him. So no count as defeat. Even through mistakes, he will work it out together for good as we confess and, and grow in him. He'll turn it all out right. Don't count defeat. Counted for victory in him. Why should I be depressed when I can recall to my mind God's loving kindness, compassion, and faithfulness and have hope? Lamentations 3, 21 20 to 23. I've been reading the text that these all come from. They're wonderful. Right, we don't have to be depressed. Don't claim depression. We have to recall to our mind the frontal lobe. Choose. God is love. His loving kindness endures forever. He's loved me since the beginning of time. He loved me before he even created Adam and Eve. He knew me. He knew me before he even created me in my mother's womb. He loved me. He loves me in spite of myself. He loves me through the thick and thin. He loves me in 
Despite the problems that seem to be taking place, he's got a plan. His loving compassion, his compassion. That he cares for us, that he forgives us. That if we, tells us these things so that we sin not. But if we sin, we have him faithful. High priest, Kohen Kedol, seated at the right hand of the Father, who's interceding on our behalf, who will forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. His compassions fail not. It's new every morning. His love for us is continually there. Even when we forsake him, even if we turned our back on him, even if we rejected him like Adam and Eve did, he comes running after us. He's calling us. He's drawing us. He be lifted up. He will draw all people onto himself. He's drawing all of us. He's calling out to each one of us. His compassions are there, and he's faithful, and he's true. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is consistent and faithful. We can put our trust in him. We can lean upon him. We can lay our burdens upon him. We can lay our troubles at his feet. He is faithful. Never failing. And we have hope. We have the promise to come. We're just passing through this earth. So whatever losses we experience here, whatever disappointments we lose, experience here, it's all just part of the test. It's all part of the, the preview. We're just going home. We're just going through here. We're walking through Vanity Fair. We're going through hell. We're taking us to heaven. This is the path to heaven. Fortunately, the road to heaven has to go through hell. It's just the way it is. It has to go through this earth. It's the testing time, it's the cleansing time, it's the purifying time. But we have hope in the coming of the Lord. No matter how bad it gets, no matter the troubles we will see, He is coming on the clouds to take us home. He's preparing mansions for us. And we have an eternity with Him, which will make these 70, 80, 90, 100 years on this earth pale in comparison to eternity with him. We have this hope, the glorious hope. Yes. The Messiah in us, the hope of glory. 10. Why should I worry and fret when I cast all my anxieties on the Messiah who cares for me? Cast all your cares upon him, all your concerns upon him. He's willing to become a, a dumping ground for us. Just dump it all on him. Cast your cares upon him. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. He's able to carry the weight that is weighing us down. He's able to carry our troubles. He's able to see us through. He's able to carry us through the darkest times of our lives. He walks with us and he helps us and carries us through. Cast your weight upon him. Cast your cares upon him. No need to be anxious. Anxious for tomorrow. Don't worry about tomorrow. Cast today upon his shoulders. Let him carry you. Let him walk you through. Why should I ever be in bondage knowing that there is liberty where the Spirit of the Lord is? We don't have to be in bondage. We don't have to be bondage to sin. We don't have to continue in sin. We don't have to keep on sinning. We don't have to be in bondage to addictions. We don't have to be in bondage to habits. He sets us free from the addictions. 
Hey, I'm breaking these addictions. And that's why, you know, again, we looked at the caffeine, the nicotine, the alcohol, the marijuana, these things. We don't want to be shackled to anything. Everything that's bad is addicting. Pornography, it's addicting. It's bad. Good things aren't addicting. Healthy things aren't addicting. We don't want to be tied to anything that's addicting. It ties us down. It binds us up. Anything like we have to have withdrawals to get out of. That's not healthy. Only the caffeine, you get the headaches and the caffeine withdrawal causes you to have to want to have it. I used to work in a bagel shop uh, in New Jersey and in the summer it'd be hot. We didn't have air conditioning and, and uh, people would come in and get coffee and there was a guy who worked in the strip mall in another store. He used to come every day to get coffee no matter what temperature it was. It'd be 104 out there. He'd come in and get his coffee. And I said to him one time, why are you getting coffee? It's so hot out. And we got cold drinks in the freezer there, juice. I'm like, why don't you get that? I was just a teenager. And he said, oh, it makes me feel cooler. It gets hot. I put it hot inside, and it makes me feel cooler on the outside. And right then and there, even as a young kid, I knew he was lying to himself. <laughs> it is. It's, I knew he was crazy. <laughs> and he was lying to himself, and he was addicted to it. That's the bottom line. People wait online for five hours in Disneyland. <laughs> You know, or for whatever, an hour, with all the expensive business, and they're waiting online to go to Starbucks and pay $20 for a thing, you know. <laughs> Addictions. We want to be free. He sets us free. He sets us free from the bondages of these things. He sets us free. From whatever the drug, heroin, whatever it is, he can set us free. So our minds can be clear and not attached to anything of this world. Free and free indeed. Liberty. Experiencing liberty. Liberation. He liberates us from the addictions of this world to the chains of this world, the bondage to the guilt. He sets us free in dying for us and setting us free. Setting us free from the past mistakes and setting us free with giving us the power to overcome. In him is liberty. Twelve. Why should I feel condemned when the Bible says I am not condemned because I am in the Messiah? Not he that condemns, is the devil who condemns us. He loves us and he wants us to be saved. Now, he's not stupid enough to let everybody in heaven who rejects him and who doesn't want him and who doesn't want to follow him. That's why he had to kick Adam and Eve out. That's why he had to kick one third of the angels out. But he's not there to condemn He's not there to put down. He comes to uplift, to encourage, to help, and to liberate, and to deliver, our deliverer, and to set us on the right path, to uplift us and lift us into heavenly places in Messiah Yeshua. Verse 13, why should I feel alone when Yeshua said, he is with me always? and he will never leave me, nor forsake me. We're never alone. Never alone. Whether we're in a dungeon like Paul, or wherever we're at, or like John the Immerser, or like Joseph in, in a pit, or in slavery, or in prison, we are never alone. He is always with us. He never leaves us. We might try and run away from him like Adam and Eve, or like Jonah, but he follows us. He is always with us. He is always faithful. He will see us through. He loves us with an everlasting love. 
His eyes are upon the sparrow. How much more are his eyes on you and me? He cares for you. 14, why should I feel accused or a victim of bad luck when the Bible says that the Messiah redeemed me from the curse of the law that I might receive his spirit? He's redeemed us from the curse of the law. Now, what is the curse of the law? Now, some people misread that and they think it says the cursed law. It doesn't say the cursed law. He didn't redeem us from the cursed law. He didn't redeem us from the law that is cursed. He redeemed us from the, the curse of the law. Well, what is the curse of the law? What is the curse of the law? What is the wages of sin? Death. That's the curse of the law. The law condemns us because it, we're lawbreakers. Death is the only eat of that tree. You will surely die. And so he has redeemed us from that curse by dying for us. Removing the guilt. Removing the shame. Removing the penalty. Removing the blood on our record. Removing its power from us. And then filling us with his spirit that we might receive his spirit. And his Holy Spirit comes in us and then gives us the power to walk in his law. To bring us into harmony with his law. So we're no longer under the condemnation of the law, but we are liberated and walking in harmony with him. Yeah. It's like when you're riding down the road and you see a police car and you look at your speedometer. Oh, thankfully I'm going the right speed limit, right? And you can smile and you can wave, you know, and you're happy to just go on down the line, right? You're within the law, and you're okay. But if you're going down the road and you look at you and you're going too fast, and the blue sirens show up behind your car, you're now under the curse of the law, <laughs> right? So the solution is not to get rid of speed limits, <laughs> right? The solution is to have God's Spirit in us giving us self-control to stay within the boundaries of the law especially God's law, right? And he does that for us. He sets us free, free indeed. Be able to walk in spirit and in truth, in righteousness and in holiness. Holiness to the Lord. Number 15, why should I be discontented when I, like Paul, can learn to be content in all my circumstances? Content in all things, content at all times. Written from a dungeon. Chained to a wall. Yes. A damp, cold, dingy, dark, rat-infested dungeon. And yet, I can be content in all things. I've had and I've had not. And yet, content in all things. That takes place in the mind in the frontal lobe. That's a choice. Choosing to be content in spite of the outward circumstances. Yeshua told us, in this world you will have troubles. So we're going to have troubles. But we can still be content because he overcame the world. Exactly. That's the frontal lobe. Having a clear, strong frontal lobe gives us the ability to believe that, trust that, form that belief and hold fast to that and then allow it to be lived out in us and out of us. That's the only way. The only way that Paul or, jo Paul, Paul or Joseph or any of the other people, Moses, anyone, will be able to maintain that trust and contentment 
under those circumstances is because their frontal lobe was working clearly and they made that choice. It's not by outward circumstances. It wasn't by the opinions of others or the praises of others. It was by that choice to believe God's word over the seeming reality that is right there in front of us. That's faith. And faith is developed in the frontal lobe. That is why there is such an attack. The devil is attacking the frontal lobe with all those things that we saw and, and in that video to try and weaken and deaden and eliminate the ability of the frontal lobe to choose God. And it's been going on for a while and I think that's why we're seeing such a decrease in religious interest and such a decrease in people's ability to concentrate. If a sermon is more than five minutes, they can't concentrate on it. If a book is more than three pages long, they can't concentrate on it. A tweet has to be so short, because otherwise they can't concentrate anymore and can't grasp anymore. Everything has had to become dumbed down. You read the instruction labels on a, on a product, you know, we're used to say, you know, don't do, you know, whatever, something really dangerous. Now it just tells you, don't do something really stupid, <laughs> you, know? you know? Like, don't swallow the gasoline, you know, put the gasoline in the lawnmower, right? Don't drink it, you know? So anyway, it's the stupidest things. They've had to dumb down everything. We've done it to ourselves. We're, we're doing it, we're lowering our frontal lobe. We're destroying our frontal lobe. 16. Why should I feel worthless when Messiah became sin on my behalf that I might become the righteousness of God in him? Right? Our worth is not based on the world, not based on comparing ourselves with others. Our worth is on him and he has traded places with us. He has taken our sins upon himself. He who knew no sin became sin for us. That we who knew no righteousness might become the righteousness of God in him. He took us, our very being, our mind, our heart, our corrupt, hardened, carnal heart, and wrong choices, and took it upon himself. And killed it. And it killed him. And then his life, his purity, his righteousness, his holiness, his everlasting life, he trades places and gives that to us. So much more so, but a small analogy, someone on death row, twins, and the brother sneaks in and trades places. And goes to the electric chair, and the other one goes free. He's traded places with us. But for eternity. And our sins are much worse than, than death row. Eternal death. We've crucified him afresh in our sins. And he trades places with that. Giving him not just a few more years on this dirty old earth. He's willing to give up eternity for us. Traded places with us. Our worth in his eyes is his own value. He values us, us. He values you and me as much as he values himself. He became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And that's all that matters. Nothing else matters. Not how many other people like you, not what everyone else is saying about you, not what other people think about you, not if someone smiled at you or someone 
gave you a promotion or liked your post or became your friend or didn't become your friend. Nothing else matters. The only thing that matters is what God says. And he says, you are his beloved child in whom he is well pleased because the Messiah traded places with you. And we are co-heirs with him. Co-heirs. So everything he has, we share with him. Co-heirs, co-inheritors with him. That's our worth. We're millionaires. Billionaires. Eternal life with him. The whole world at our feet. 17. Why should I have a persecution complex? Knowing that nobody can be against me when God is for me. No one can be against us. No one. Nobody. Nothing. When God is for us. You might say, well, that doesn't seem right. I mean, Paul had lots of people around. Paul wrote this. Paul had lots of people against him. People were throwing rocks at Paul. People were throwing stones at Paul. People were trying to kill Paul. People were lying, and people were trying to get him thrown in prison. People were trying to get him beheaded. There were lots of people who didn't like Paul. There were lots of people against Paul. So what is he talking about here? They don't count. <laughs> they don't matter. Because in the bigger scheme of things, again, God is on our side. And with him on our side, we are more than a match for everything. We are a majority with him on our side. Us and him is a majority. So nobody else counts. Nobody else, whatever they're against, they have no power over us unless God allows it because he's using it for his further purpose. So all their lies, all their attacks, all their attempts, all their schemings, all their words, all their backbiting and backstabbing, doesn't matter. God is for us. God is able to override it. God is able to stop it. God is able to blind it all, like, like those that tried to get to, to, uh, to, Lot's, to Lot and, and his family. Just blinded them off. And if he wants to do that, he can do that. And if he chooses to allow us to be beheaded like he did to John or Paul, then that's okay too. But God is for us. Thus nothing else matters. 18, why should I be confused when God is the author of peace and he gives me knowledge through his indwelling spirit. He gives us knowledge and he'll give us more knowledge. He'll guide and direct us. He'll direct our paths. He'll show us the way and he'll lead us in it. He'll give us peace and peace that passes understanding. Give us peace in our hearts and our minds. We don't have to be confused. He will show us right and truth. He is truth. 19. Why should I feel like a failure when I am a conqueror in all things through the Messiah? Take on the armor of God. Put on the armor of God and go on the attack against the gates of hell. We are more than a match. We are conquerors and conquering in all things. Overcomers as he overcame. We are conquerors in him. Victorious in him. Trusting in him. Marching with him on the upward path. And 20, why should I let pressures of life bother me when I can take courage knowing that Yeshua has overcome the world and its tribulations? He's already overcome. We can have courage. The battle is won. The war is won. The battles are still raging. But the war is won. He is the victor. Heaven is assured. 
Just go through life here, trusting in Him, keeping your mind focused on Him. Take courage in Him. Choose to follow Him. Choose to make Him your Lord, your God, your Savior, your friend, your brother, your spouse. Choose to allow Him into your heart and mind. Choose to allow Him to plan your future and direct your paths. Choose Him. He's overcome the tribulations. In this world, you'll have tribulations. But He has overcome this world. Trust in Him. Walk in Him. And so, coming to our conclusion of this 13 week, I think it was 13 weeks seminar, on depressed people of the Bible. If you're still experiencing depression, I encourage you to get the two books and read them through. There's much more in the books than we're able to cover in the seminar and read through and put them into practice in every aspect of it. There's, again, lots to it. You didn't become depressed overnight. Coming out doesn't take place necessarily overnight. My like a hit overnight, but never hits overnight. And coming out, not usually overnight either. Step by step, coming through, staying in the course. So after a time, it still doesn't seem to be working, but again, first start with that. Get the two books, read through them, put them into practice. And it tells you, if you need a counselor, what type of counselors, so it gives guidance on getting help as well, what type of counselors are be appropriate counselors. And if all that still does not work, I encourage you to go to the Nedley Depression and Anxiety Recovery Program where they can do extra tests and blood work tests and, and again in a setting where they're able to help you and walk you through it and help you to overcome. Very, very high success rate. Again, from walking the, the victory with him. Trusting in him. And those promises we just looked at tonight, again, good to study those promises, claim those promises, look up those Bible texts, all of them are in the last chapter in the Depressed People of the Bible book, so you can have that and, and read through that and go through that every time you start to feel discouraged or, or anxious or worried or depressed in any way, shape, or form. Claiming God's Word. And so as we prepare to pray, if you haven't made that frontal lobe choice to choose to make God your Savior, to accept Yeshua's sacrifice in your behalf, to have your sins cleansed away, and to be filled with the Holy Spirit, then in a moment when we pray, I invite you to do that. Right where you're at, choose to lay your cares upon Him, lay your anxieties upon Him, lay your sins at His feet. Let Him work in you and give you a new life and make all things new. Secondly, as we looked at some of those things, a list of just some of the things that weaken the frontal lobe, if any of those apply to you, you want to make the choice now, Lord, give me victory to change that area, to break that addiction, to give up that habit, to change that lifestyle, to cut out this, and to do what's right, give me the ability to do what's helpful, healthy, from my mind, body, soul, and spirit. Then a moment when we pray, you can give that over to the Lord, you can confess it, surrender it to Him, allow Him to set you free 
and liberate you and empower you to walk and to do what is right and to be filled with his spirit and with his glory. Third, if there's any area that you're acting against conscience, you're acting against God's word, you're choosing to rebel against God, you know what's right and you're not doing it in some area of your life, some biblical area, or there's something you know you should be doing and you're not doing. In a moment when we pray, you can confess that sin, give that over to God, receive his forgiveness, receive his cleansing, and be filled with his spirit and his power to walk in truth and righteousness. Third, if you want to claim any of those promises, we went through those 20 or more promises, if any of those really uh, sank in the heart, touched your heart, you want to claim it now and say, God, that's for me. I need that right now. I need that victory. I need that courage. I need that faith. I need that wisdom. I need that knowledge. Whatever it was, in a moment when we pray, I need my needs met. Whatever it is that applied to you, in a moment when we pray, claim that. Claim his promise. Claim his word. And walk in that light. If any of those areas apply to you or maybe some other area that God's speaking to your heart and mind about, let's pray and and ask him to work in us. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, we praise your name and we're thankful for your word. We're thankful, Lord, for your promises. We're thankful that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever, and what you did in all of these people's lives and how you reached out to them. And we discussed over these past weeks, you're reaching out to us. And that you love us just as much. And the victory that you gave them, you're able to give us as well. And so work in our hearts and minds. Thank you for putting your seal and your mark and your sign upon our foreheads, in our minds, in our lives. Seal us with your name. Live out your character in us and through us. Write your laws into our hearts and into our minds. And, live, and make it lived out in our hands, in our actions, and in our words, on our lips. Speak your truth through us. Make us living testimonies for you. Wash us clean through the blood of Messiah from all rebellion, all disobedience, all lack of faith, all negativity all sin and wash us clean take our carnal nature away take our selfishness and our greed and the lust the lust of the eyes the lust of the pride of life and the lust of the flesh and crucify it and bury it away in the tomb and come into us holy spirit and live in us and out of us Fill us from the bottom of our feet right through to the top of our skulls. Fill us with faith. Fill us with courage. Fill us with strength. Fill us with your mind. Fill us with your heart. Put a heart of faith in us. Give us empathy and love, loving kindness and long-suffering. Give us a concern and burden for others sigh and cry and pray for others and to intercede on their behalf. Live in us and out of us and use us in drawing other people to you.
And we ask these things in Yeshua's name. Amen.